Thanks for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. I'm going to speak this morning uh, on my second week of talking to you through Next Steps, but um, I just feel feel like actually this morning it'd be a really good idea. I'm going to make you stand up again for a second. So do you want to stand? I'm not going to make you hold hands. I heard that's what you did after I left last week, so (laughs) don't worry. It's okay. I hate holding hands with other people. So you're all right. I'm not going to do that with you because I've got clammy hands. I'm going to say this to you. Do you want to meet with God today? And if you do, close your eyes for a minute and just ask God to come and meet with you today. So just open up your hands to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I just want to meet with you this morning. Lord Jesus, I want to be receptive to what you want to say to me, both through what I'm going to say in a minute, but also through the worship later. Just prepare your heart right now for what Jesus might do in your life. If you want to meet with him today, just say, come and meet with me, Lord Jesus. Don't be passive. We don't come to, be, to church to be an audience. We come to church to actually speak to God and hear from God. So if that's you, can I just encourage you to just to come right now and just ask God to come and meet with you today. We're not at the cinema, okay? We're not at, the, we're not at a, a, a concert. We're here to engage with God, and you have to do that yourself. It's not just something you need to wait for somebody else to do for you. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and pour out your presence upon us this morning. Father, I pray for where, where we've got tired minds and tired hearts. Lord, I pray that you would come and just breathe new life into them. Lord, I know Debbie has had two coffees this morning already. But Lord, we pray for a Holy Spirit caffeine upon us this morning, God, that we might engage with you, Lord, in a new way. Lord, I pray, come and pour out your presence upon us. Make us alert, Lord, to what you want to say to us today. Father, that none of us would go out of this place not hearing from you today. I pray. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you very much. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, I say, last week I spoke to you about our vision statement and our mission statement. We spoke about how our, uh, vision st- our, old mission- our old vision statement has now become our mission statement. And our new vision statement is a lot simpler, and I'm hoping that you'll get to the point where you'll be able to re- remember what it is. But our new vision statement is this. We want to be a community that loves God, that loves each other, and that loves the world. I mean, it's not too difficult to remember. And actually... The trick in that is, can we make that vision statement underpin everything that we do as a church? So that our church is simpler. We don't want to make things more difficult and keep adding things on. We actually, in my my heart, I want to make things simpler for you. I want church to be simple. That it's actually, it's doing, it's fulfilling the core mandate of what God wants us to do. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. That's what we want to do as a community. And so we want to make church as simple as possible. Love God, love each other, love the world. And so, in essence, actually, God calls us, and we are called as Christians, to be kingdom carriers. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means, to be kingdom carriers. So, let me just talk about that mission statement, that the old vision statement. The old, mission, the old vision statement, our new mission statement, is this. Grow a family of believers who are passionate about loving God and his presence, that are secure in their identity as his sons and daughters, and filled with the Holy Spirit, partnering with Jesus daily in, his, in extending his kingdom. So, what, do, what does that last bit mean? That's talking about being a carrier of the kingdom of God, almost like you were ca- a carrier of a, a virus <laughs> into your workplace, into your school, into your home, that you're carrying something that, you, that you're contagious with, you know, that you start to share with other people, even, almost by accident, you know, like when that cough comes out and you share your flu with somebody else. We want to be kingdom carriers. We want to carry the kingdom to other people. We want to inf- be infectious with our love of Jesus. 
See, Jesus himself is the one that defines the character of the church. And when uh, Matthew has the revelation, sorry, when Peter has the revelation of Jesus in Matthew 16, um, Jesus' response to him is this, Blessed are you, Simon, because the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but it was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's a really significant, I, I know I talk about this, this, these verses a lot because they're so significant to us as a community, but also to, the, to any Christian. Look, Jesus didn't say to Peter, you are going to build my church. What Jesus said to Peter was, you are the rock on which I will build my church. You see, Jesus builds the church. It's Jesus who does the work, and actually he uses us within it, and he uses us to partner with him in it. It's Jesus who defines the character and the nature that his church needs to have. He began the church to establish and advance his kingdom and reach people on earth. That's what Jesus did with the church. The church is the hope of all the world. The church is the hope of all the world. It's, G- it's, it's the plan A. You know that with God there is no plan B? Because God doesn't make mistakes and get things wrong. And some people talk about the Old Testament being like plan A and then it, got, it went wrong and so Jesus has to come in and, for, and, and kind of step in and sort things out. That's not the case at all. It was God's purpose before the very creation of the world that Christ would enter the world. It was, it was God's purpose that he had this salvation plan in place before anything ever happened. There is no plan B with God. It's his plan A. It's God's plan A. It's on the rock of the revelation of who Jesus is and what he's come to do that Jesus built his church. And he built his church that way in order to push back the gates of hell and rescue people from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into his kingdom. (coughs) You are part of his church and you're part of something that's greater than yourself. We are the church and we're designed individually and collectively to go forward and make a difference. We're called to proclaim the kingdom is at hand. I'm going to talk a little bit about this later on, but Jesus sends out 72 disciples in Luke 10 and he says, go and, go and, go and demonstrate the kingdom is basically what he gets out with them. Go and heal the sick, cast out demons, show them that the kingdom's at hand. We're called to be kingdom carriers. We're called to go into the darkness and carry the kingdom with us. And we follow the only true God. We follow the only true God. And, but there are many other gods in this world. There are many other idols in this world. People worship all sorts of things, whether that, that's um, other false gods in other religions or whether that's uh, sort of worldly gods like money or materialism or sex or fame or power or success or false <coughs> religions, various demonic influences as well. You see, people can worship things that are other than gods that are are demonic. People can sometimes worship those things. We all are designed to worship. And if you don't worship God, you're just worshipping something else. Because you were designed for worship of God and community with other people. And so actually, you need to be worshipping something because that's what you were made like. And so if you're not worshipping Jesus, then you end up worshipping other things. God's plan is that actually he pulls people out of darkness and into light. Let me just read this verse from Zephaniah. The Lord will be awesome, that's terrifying to them, against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him all shall bow down, each in his place, all the lands of the nations. See, God has a plan to terrify the gods of the earth. That's what Zephaniah 2.11 says. How does he plan to do this? He plans to do this by starving the gods of the earth. And how does God plan to starve the gods of the earth? Well, look, he plans to starve the gods of the earth by actually reaching out and using us to uh, infect society around us. And as we bring people to Jesus, what we do is we starve 
As, as somebody's worship turns from something else to Jesus, what they were worshipping for starts to get starved. You know, if, if, if everybody in our culture worships fame, and, worships fame and success, but gradually, one by one, they start turning to Jesus, gradually, that fame and success culture starts to get starved because people are turning to Jesus. So we are called to be part of this plan of actually going into society and changing it and starving the gods of the earth. When people become Christ followers, they transfer their worship from idols and false gods to gods. And that starves any other gods. It reduces the influence of other gods in our culture. It changes the spiritual atmosphere of families, communities and nations. And it changes culture. We as Gateway Church are committed to be kingdom carriers. And so you hear us talking about how we can demonstrate the kingdom, bring the kingdom, what we do. We talk about the kingdom of God a lot. Because we want to carry the good news of Jesus into the world around us. We want to change culture around us. We want to see workplaces and schools and different environments that each and you and I work into or go into every day changed because we carry the good news with us. So what does the kingdom look like and how do we demonstrate the kingdom of God to other people? Well, we believe that actually as a church, God's, that we have five cultures as a church. So five cultures that we want to kind of be like and how we also kind of see ourselves already behaving. Let me just talk about what a culture is first, though. So a culture is a system of beliefs, disciplines, practices, and relational boundaries that reveal how life is among a particular group of people. As those who belong to the kingdom of Jesus, our mandate is to demonstrate a kingdom-focused culture in all that we do. Culture is created through the expression and experience of the things we believe. And culture takes time to build. It's not something that... I can't just talk to you about culture this morning and you'll go away and be like that. Because culture takes time to build. I found this quote this week and I think it's relevant about culture as well. It says this, Charisma and competency can be gained in a microwave, but character grows in a slow cooker. Charisma and competency can be gained in a microwave, but character grows in a slow cooker. It's exactly the same with culture. Culture takes time. To build. Culture takes time to grow. It, it, it's something that you need to work hard at and that it, it kind of stews gradually. You know, you, culture always trumps vision. I can talk about vision all the time, but actually you won't get anywhere unless your culture's right as well. And so we have to build a culture that is centred around God, that is centred around the kingdom of God. So what are our five cultures of gateway? You should know these already. Our five cultures are these things. Seeking the presence of God, honouring, generosity, encouragement, and risk-taking faith. There are five cultures. They're the, things, the five things that we want to do and be as a community. We want to grow in those five areas. We want to make them our intentional way to be Christ-like in our community. That's what we want to be like. There, there surely can be nothing more important than growing closer to Christ and growing more like him. And I think that these five cultures... Um, I was just reading the Sermon on the Mount this morning in Matthew... And it's so interesting that all of these five cultures come up. Jesus, Jesus demonstrated these five cultures. And if you want to be more Christ-like, grow in these five cultures and you'll be more Christ-like. You know, these are really important things. So let me just go through these with you in the time we have this morning. So first of all, we want a culture of seeking the presence of God. Of God. Presence of gold. Ooh. Presence of God. Even better. Psalm 34 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Have you... Or do you taste and see that the Lord is good? Do you spend time with God? Do you spend time with God in his presence on your own as a family? Do you spend time with God worshipping him? Can you testify 
that his presence is good? Do you know what it's like to taste and see that the Lord is good? If you don't, my challenge to you is just to come and worship God. Because as you do, you will find out that the Lord is good. Because that's what these verses say. It goes on to say this in Psalm 34. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You know, if you seek God, if you put God as your first priority, you will lack no good thing. If you put God first, you will lack no good thing in life. That's why we want to do what, that with our community. We want seeking the presence of God to be our, one of our main cultures. Because we know that actually, as we do that, we will lack no good thing. A quote from King's Arms Bedford, who we, we link in with heavily. Um, they, somebody there said this. If we prioritise his presence, you will get more done by accident than you ever did on purpose. You know, if we put God's presence first and we prioritise God's presence, when we meet together, when we worship together, when we meet together in small groups or in pairs or however we meet together, if we prioritise God's presence first, actually we'll get more done by accident than we ever did on purpose. We not only want to seek God when we come together, but we also want to equip you to seek God in your personal walk with him as well. So this whole thing about seeking the presence of God, look, Jesus said to, to the lawyer when, when he was questioned, his answer back to him was this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus, Jesus commands us, encourages us to make that our priority, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So there's a challenge for you this morning in that. How's that going in your life? Are you doing that? Are you putting God first? Are you seeking his presence above and before all things? How are you doing in that area? Okay, so secondly, a culture of honour. So a culture of honour. Honour is to give respect, to be ready to learn, and to live with gratitude. Bill Hybels, uh, sorry, Bill Hybels, Bill Johnson said this, we celebrate who people are without stumbling over who they are not. See, we want to be a community that doesn't pick holes in people, that doesn't kind of, you know, it's easy to be critical of somebody. Oh, they didn't do that, or they didn't do this, or they weren't like that. And often it's because we want them to behave in a way that we want them to behave like, rather than recognising them for who they actually are. You see, we want to celebrate people for, for who they are, rather than stumbling over who they're not. And actually, if you have that mindset, it stops you from being critical and cynical of other people. It stops you from getting into the mindset of, well, they never do it as well as I would do it, or, oh, they got it wrong again. Actually, no, we celebrate people for who they are rather than who they're not. Romans 15, 7 says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see, we, we, it's, this part of honour is a part of celebrating our diversity, part of recognising that we come from different backgrounds as a church community. I look out here every week and I see different ages, different coloured skin, different... different um, I know that people in the room do very different jobs, have very different um, social backgrounds from one another. And we don't want our community to have any space for partiality. We want our community to be a place where everybody feels welcome, where everybody can come in and, and, and experience the love of Jesus, where everybody can belong to the community. We want honour uh, to be a core part of who we are as a church, and it takes time to work at, and we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Revelation 7-9 is that picture of that future image of a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. That there's going to be a day when every nation of the world comes together to worship Jesus. And we can demonstrate what that looks like now. We can demonstrate that every time we meet together on a Sunday morning, we're demonstrating what that revelation image looks like. 
We've got different people from different environments, from different walks of life, coming together to worship Jesus. So what does a a culture of honour look like? What does it look like for you as an individual? Let me give you a few little kind of practical things, because I don't want this to just be like, you know, high pie in the sky type stuff. What does a culture of honour look like? Be on time whenever you can. And I've said it before, being on time is really important because it values other people um, by valuing their time. Maybe you've got a, a habit in your life of not turning up on time for stuff. Maybe you turn up on time, don't turn up on time for, for work. Um, maybe you don't turn up on time for church or when you meet people from church or when you meet people outside of church. Maybe you're just, oh, it, it's me, I'm always late. I'm always five minutes late. You know, are you that kind of person? If you are, think about how that might affect other people. Think about the time and energy that they might be putting in to get there on time for you. Or like, for example, uh, how are you honouring your workplace and the people who pay you if you turn up late every, every day? Or how are you honouring the people who sat up here on a Sunday morning if you turn up late every week? Actually, we honour other people by turning up on time. Secondly, seek first to understand and then be understood. So what do I mean by that? Listen. You know, listen to people. Um, don't, you know, if you're in an argument with somebody or you know you're having a disagreement, listen to what they've got to say. Hear them out. Try and hear their opinion on it. Welcome feedback from people, even that which is unkindly given. Do you know what? I have to do that a lot now that I'm, in, I'm, I'm the lead elder. I have to welcome feedback, even that which is unkindly given often. Um, offer genuine thanks and encouragement when somebody serves you. You know, I've been in some church, churches before, and it, it makes you a bit sick. It's really American, and they like, you know, everything gets a, woohoo, well done, you're amazing, you did it, yeah, you're great. You know, it's that kind of thing. We don't want to be like that. That's just weird, okay? <laughs> But look, you know, there's nothing nicer than when somebody comes up to you and genuinely thanks you. Thank you so much for X, Y, and Z. And you know that they're being genuine. It's not just words. You can see it in their face that they actually mean it. So I don't just say it because I'm saying to say thank you to people, because that becomes saccharine sweet and not real. But actually think about it. If somebody served you or helped you, maybe thank that person. Maybe you see the same person every week, and they're serving, and they come in, and they're doing this thing every week. And you never say, you've never spoken to them. Why not thank them for what they do for you? Don't send harsh or rude emails or texts. I won't talk to any of you about the things you've said to me. <laughs> don't, say, don't, you know, don't do that. It's just silly. Don't get involved in Facebook-like arguments. They're just silly. And they stay on your record forever as well. Just say that one to you as well. But don't do it. You know, if, if somebody offends you, if I offend you, please don't text me about it. Please come and speak to me. Okay? I said this last week. Um, I, I had to, I, I'm going to refrain my language slightly. But you've got to have the, have the kahunas to, to, to actually say what you mean, say what you feel to somebody. You know, if somebody offends you, don't just slag them off behind their back. Actually have the gumption to go and say to them that they've offended you. Okay? Because otherwise, it's, it just shows that actually you almost were too scared to say it to them. If somebody offends you, you need to go and tell them they've offended you. Don't harbour unresentment or unforgiveness. Okay? Because actually, when we see that happening in the Bible, Paul writes about it affecting the Lord's table. So when, when they were coming for communion in, in, in Corinth, you know, it affects the Lord's table. If we are not in good community with one another, we need to make sure that we are in good community with one another. So if somebody's offended you, if I've offended you, you need to come and tell me. Don't write me an email or a text message, just because I can never see the emotion on your face that way either. 
Encourage in writing, critique in person. Do you know what? It's so nice to get an encouraging text message or an encouraging email. I received an encouraging text message from Craig before Christmas. And do you know what, Craig? It really made my day. So, you know, actually, I don't get those a lot. (laughs) That was why I was able to pull that one out. But look, you know, actually, it's important that we encourage one another. Develop a heart of gratitude by thanking God for the smallest gifts and blessings. It's so easy in our lives to think about all the things that we want or all the things that haven't happened to us, to have an attitude where we look down and we think about the things that haven't gone right, rather than thinking about all the things that that we have got in Christ, rather than thinking about all the things that God has done for us. You know, when I, I'm struggling, when I get into a mentality of, oh, why hasn't this happened? I remind myself of all the promises that I've seen fulfilled in Jesus. I remind myself of who I am in Jesus. Nope, I've been saved out of darkness into light. Nope, I was this and now I'm that. I remind myself of my identity. Honouring, it's so important. A culture of encouragement is next. Let me just, I'm going to rattle through these because we're going to run out of time otherwise. A culture of encouragement. The Greek word translated encouragement in some translations and exhort in others. Picture someone coming alongside another person to offer support. Encouragement means to exhort, to comfort, to counsel or help. And it's a gift of ministry. It means to support somebody, to offer a steady hand, to come alongside somebody in need or put your arm around somebody who is about to fall. That's encouragement. Proverbs eleven twenty five says this, he who refreshes others will himself be re- refreshed. Now, did you know my name Barnabas, that's my full name. Barney isn't like a nickname like, like that. I'm, I'm actually called Bill or something like that. Barnabas is my full name um, because my parents decided that I was going to become an encourager. But do you know what? So, my, my name doesn't actually mean encourager. It means son of encouragement. So I kept telling my dad that that doesn't mean that I should be an encourager. You're the encourager. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to be an encourager. Because actually, if I'm quite honest with you, and I think God was having a bit of a laugh, actually, because my parents, they didn't just choose that name because who would? Um, they, they chose that name because they felt God telling them to call me Barnabas. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, not that that ever helped me in life at all. Um, but, you know, they, they felt God calling me, t- telling, telling them to call me Barnabas um, because I was going to be a son of encouragement. Yeah, again, my dad's the encourager. And so for me, I'm naturally not an encourager. I'm naturally actually quite critical and quite, quite cynical. I naturally will see... Uh, the things that people have done wrong rather than the things that people do right. And, I, and this would be uh, most in view at, at when I was an art teacher. I would constantly see photographs of people. I said this is the photography group when we did it last term. Um, I, I, because I saw so much artwork and so much photography, it was very easy to become critical of little mistakes or things that had gone wrong. I had to train myself really hard not to destroy young children with a, that's rubbish, do it again. You know, sometimes they really appreciated that. They were like, I really like you, so you're really honest. Uh, but other times, you could, I, I made a couple of girls cry in my first few years. And uh, after that point, I realized I needed to change my attitude slightly because I wasn't being encouraging to them at all. And I, I realized that I needed to think about what I said to them. Okay, so are you like me? Are you not naturally an encourager? And therefore, you need to really work at it. Okay, because like I said culture is not something that happens overnight. It's something that takes time. Hindrances to being an encourager. Being self-absorbed could be one. Having a perfectionist attitude like me. Being overly critical and cynical like me. Okay? I, there are hindrances in my life, naturally. I've got, some, I've got some strengths and some weaknesses. Okay, We all have. Okay? They would be some of my weaknesses. Okay? Really, really important that we recognise if we are like that, we need to think about how we can encourage more. What are some practical ways that you could encourage other people? Well, look, I've already said these about honouring people. What about letter writing? 
What about rather than just sending an email, what about actually writing them in a letter? I mean, you can actually do that still. You know, the, the, the Royal Mail will actually exist. I mean, there's, there's something different about getting a letter through the post than an email. Oh my goodness, they took time to go to the post box? You know, could you write somebody a letter? You know, how nice would that be? Maybe put some money in it as well. Helping others. I'll give you my address in a minute. Helping others, sharing, <laughs> sharing their joy and their pain. Look, you can encourage other people just by walking alongside somebody when they're struggling. That is an encouragement to them. You know, so if you've got a friend in the church at the moment who's struggling, could you be that arm to go around them and just say, I'm just going to make you dinner this week. I just want to come around to your house, see how you're getting on. Just knock on their door with a bag of food. You know, how could you encourage that person? Learn to identify when people are discouraged or afraid. So if you've got a friend in the church, get to know them a bit more and work out the triggers for them and see whether or not you can help them before they fall. How do you personally respond to encouragement? Well, look, this is a big question for all of us. How do we respond to it? Okay, because some of us sometimes don't take on board encouragement and we kind of go, <laughs> you know, no, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Actually, no, just actually listen to it. Listen to it because actually God is using you in your life and actually encouragement builds us up. You know, so if somebody encourages you, take it on board. Now, I'm not saying get big-headed, but take it on board. Listen to what they're saying to you. It's important. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Look, you, actually, our tongues are really important. What we say is important. You know, James writes about this in the New Testament. What we say is important. Think about what you can say to other people to build them up. Just lastly on that, there's this little statement, hurt people hurt people. If you're hurt, you can often end up hurting other people as well. Okay? If you know that you're loved, then you should be able to love other people. If you know that you're loved, you should be able to love other people. The more that we experience and think about the love of God for us, the more that will flow out into the lives of other people. So are you a hurt person who's just hurting other people with what you say to them? Or do you know that you're loved by the Father and are able to love other people? When we know love, when we know acceptance, we know encouragement, we will love, accept and encourage other people. Number four, a culture of risk-taking faith. Um, this is about being courageous as a person. And we want to build you, we want to build a community here where we are courageous in our walk with Jesus, where we're courageous as a community. We want everybody who's part of Gateway to grow as disciples, as people and as leaders. And growth always requires faith and often requires risk. It really does. We want to see risk-taking faith exhibited in the life of the church, in stepping up to serve and lead in different areas. So it's been really nice to hear recently of a couple of people seeing that there's a gap in serving and going, I'll, I'll do that. That's great. That's risk-taking faith. That's saying, I'm going to put myself forward for something. It's great when people come to the microphone for the first time on a Sunday morning and they bring a word or a prophecy that they feel God's got for them. Okay? We are not a community where there's only a select few people who get to come up to the mic on a Sunday morning. If you believe that God's got something for you, uh, that given you to bring to other people, as it says in 1 Corinthians, then come to the front, speak to whoever is anchoring the meeting and see if it's appropriate to bring it. Be encouraged to do that. We are a community where everybody has a voice. It, Paul writes to the Corinthians, when you come together, everyone has something to say. The problem in Corinth was that there were too many people saying things. And it became disorderly. Here, it's the other way around. Not enough of us come forward and say stuff. Not enough of us bring that uh, prophecy or that word of knowledge that we have. Not enough of us 
uh, maybe bring a tongue or uh, bring an interpretation. Look, can I encourage you, please, to uh, use the gifts that God's given you in our meetings together? Because it builds the body. We want to see risk-taking faith in reaching out to others. We want to see risk-taking faith in leading groups in the church, in the types of groups that we have. We want our groups themselves to exhibit the kind of faith that we want to see. So, you know, as our groups really kind of grow over the course of this year and we maybe start to do not just do interest groups, but we actually go on mission in some of our groups and do actual missional activities like cleaning gardens or like uh, going and helping people uh, with different life scenarios. That Actually, it, that's risk-taking faith, getting involved in a group like that. But we want our groups to be like that for a reason because we want them to demonstrate risk-taking faith. Lastly, we can demonstrate risk-taking faith by giving financially. That's a great risk to us, giving financially. But as we do that, actually, it releases something over us. I'm going to talk more about that next week. The greatest risk of all is how we can relate, though, to other people and how we relate to God. The risk to do something about relationships. Mark 12.30 says this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You take a risk when you love with all of your heart, okay? So actually, for some of us, actually, the greatest risk that we can take at the moment is just to go and love somebody else. The greatest risk, maybe for some of us, is actually just to go and make a friend in church. Because what we do is we are scared that if we open up to other people, they'll find out what we're really like. And they won't accept us. They'll reject us. Actually, can I just encourage you that this community, this church, is a place where you can be who you are, okay? We want, a, we want, a, we want a, this to be a place where you can feel free to make friends with people and share your heart with them. Okay, you're not going to be rejected. Really, really important. When Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke 10, I said that I was going to talk about this earlier, Jesus encourages them to go and demonstrate the kingdom of God. It would have taken a tremendous amount of courage to go out and do what Jesus had commanded. But when they went, what, what happened? They came back with the report. Look, you told us to go and do this, and this happened. You told us to, to, to go and cast out demons, to go and heal the sick, and, and, and it's happened. Okay? Actually, as we step out in faith, God goes with us. And as we step out in faith, the more we step out, the more we'll see God there with us. Yeah, the, more, the, 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 the bigger step, you know, actually, if you want to see God move in big areas in your life, then start taking small steps. And as you do, you'll see God with you at each step of the way, and it'll give you more faith for things of the future. Lastly then, my last point today, a culture of generosity. Look, we, we've talked about all these other things today, but generosity is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. God gives us what we don't deserve, so that in, in Christ we might have, have riches, the riches of God at Christ's expense, yeah? That's the heart of the gospel. God gives us what we don't deserve. We get sonship, daughtership in God. Generosity is at the very heart of God. And generosity is a culture that we need to have as a community. So I'm going to talk about giving next week, as I've said already, but giving is a form of generosity. And generosity flows out of a heart of worship. Where your treasure is, says Jesus, there your heart will be also. Generosity flows out of a heart of worship. What we give into reveals where the treasures of our heart are. What we invest, we invest in what we love. And when we give to God our material resources, it's an act of worship to God. It demonstrates where our heart is at. Secondly, hospitality. Hospitality. There are people in this church who have a gift of hospitality, Bernadette. You've got a gift of hospitality. You have. It's your gift. It's your like spiritual gift. If you want to grow in a gift of hospitality, speak to Bernadette afterwards because she is naturally anointed 
as a hospitable person. How, maybe that's you. Maybe you just love inviting people into your house. Maybe you love cooking meals for people. Maybe you just love to, to chat to people and see how they're getting on. That's hospitality. Are you called to be like that? Because you know what? Bernadette, you are fantastic, and we need more people like you. You know, we need, we need more of us to be more hospitable. And I know that there are some latent gifts in some of us of hospitality, but maybe you're frightened about inviting people into your house. Maybe, but encourage you to do that. Invite people in. Hospitality, so important. Praying. Praying. You know, you can actually get really involved in this church, not by even stepping out of your room at home, but you can get involved in this church just by praying for people by praying for people. It's so important that actually we think about situations that other people are facing and pray for them. You can actually get more involved in this church just by praying for other people in your own personal prayer times. And one thing on this, I'd say on this, if you say you're going to pray for somebody, do it. (laughs) It's really easy to have a conversation with somebody on a Sunday morning and they tell you about their difficult situation that they're facing and you go, I'll be praying for you this week. And then you go away and you don't do it. And it almost becomes like a second nature comment. Well, I'll be praying for you this week. And then you, you kind of go home. If you say you're going to pray for somebody, make sure you do go and pray for them. I, honestly, that's something that I, I guarantee you that I've learned in life, that if I say I'm going to pray for you, I will pray for you. Okay? Because I don't want to say it and not do it. Um, praying is so important as well. And lastly, helping. You know, we can help people. You know, maybe when people are putting the chairs away after the meeting today, maybe you could just help them put the chairs away. We can help one another. The golden rule Jesus spoke of was to love others the way we would love ourselves. You know, is that your attitude towards church? Do you love other people the way that you love yourself? Do to others as you would have them do to you, is what Jesus said. Paul talks of this in Galatians, he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, in helping others, we demonstrate the love, uh, demonstrate love and help that we ourselves have received from God. As we help somebody else, we demonstrate something to them of the kingdom of God. You know, maybe there's that person at the supermarket and they're struggling with their bags this week. Could you just help them to their car with them? You know, you're demonstrating something in that of the love of God. You're not just being nice, you're demonstrating something of the love that you've received. Jesus encourages us to give in a way that our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. They become second nature to us. That's what Jesus encourages us to give like. Whether that's money, whether that's helping people, whether that's praying, whether that's being hospitable, that should be our attitude. That actually it becomes second nature to us to be like that. And that takes time and effort and energy. Um, And so, look, with all of these cultures, it's really easy to talk about them but actually, it's much more difficult to put them into practice. And so just on that, um, have you got that little card there? We, I had some, we've had some cards made up with our cultures on them so you can remember them. And um, I, they will fit in most Bibles. And just an encouragement to you, really, just to remind you of what our cultures are as a church. But also, maybe this is something to check back in on from time to time and go, how am I doing on encouraging other people? Because I know in preparing this, I'm like, oh, I actually really need to be a bit more honouring of Richard. Or a bit more, you know, I need to really think about how I can love other people more. So how are you doing on these areas? And make them a priority in your life. Because as you do, you will grow to be more like Jesus. As you do these things, you will grow in your discipleship of Jesus. Because look, Jesus embodied all of these five cultures. And so if you do these things, you will grow more like him. Let's stand together as we finish.